Good morning. Uh, it's so good to see you all. Um, some of us haven't really seen each other since December, since um, the weather and the, the holidays. And then last week we had the snow, and many of us were, some of us were here, but many of us weren't, and worshiping online and other places. And so we're grateful to all be back together again. Let me just tell you a little bit about what we're doing this month. Um, we're in this, this four-week vision series we're calling Renewal. Um, we believe as Christians that Jesus is on a mission to renew all things. And that he is renewing us, he's renewing the church, he's renewing the world. Uh, We believe that. And so what we're doing is we're spending four weeks looking at the ways that he is renewing us even now, even here at Third. And we're thinking about our future vision together as a church. And, uh, and, and, you know, this is for everybody. I know that some of you are visitors. Some of you are um, just friends here short term. And so it's okay that you're here too. This is really for everyone. Um, and that just reminds me that I forgot to ask you to pass the friendship pad. So if you could do that uh, at the end of your row. Uh, there's also prayer cards in there if you need them. Um, so let me just tell you a little bit about what we're doing these four weeks. So last week we looked at um, the renewal of the person and how Jesus wants to renew us each as individuals. And we want to take that seriously as a church and reorganize accordingly. Um, this, this week we're looking at the renewal of the church. And that's what the sermon's about today. And I'll say more about that in just a bit. Next week, we're looking at the renewal of the city, and we're going to be looking at how even our property, even our buildings and our facilities and our campus here on Forest Avenue actually might contribute to the flourishing of our surrounding neighborhood. So this week, we're doing something a little unusual, something interactive. We're flying in a group of about, um, a group of nationally known land planners, urban and suburban land planners. We're going to be here leading a creative, interactive process with us, uh, with representatives from the school across the street, the business owners, the neighbors, the neighborhoods around us, Henrico County representatives. We're going to be imagining together what a renewed vision of even this campus might look like, how we use our facilities and the property here to contribute even to the blessing of the neighborhood that we're in, this area of town that we're in. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to be involved Wednesday through Saturday, Uh, We'll be sending a schedule out tomorrow morning if you're on the email list, and we'll also be posting that schedule to the website on the events page. So please check that out. But today, we're looking at this theme of renewing the church. And so with that, I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles or to the bulletins. 1 Peter chapter 2 is our text today. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12. Join with me as I pray. Our Father, thank you for your loving mercy that you do not leave us in our world as it is, but you are in the process of renewing all things, even us. So we pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Help me, help all of us, so that we would not just hear it and understand your word today, but that we would respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word, friends. First Peter 2, 4 through 12. This is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given to you in love. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, 
I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious and chosen. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not even a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. I want to read to you an article. This is a real article from the Boston Globe. It can never be said that Adele Gabry's neighbors were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip high, they had a local boy mow it down. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The only thing they didn't do was check to see if she was alive. She wasn't. On Monday, police climbed her crumbling brick stoop, broke into the side door of her little blue house, and found what they believed to be the 73-year-old woman's skeletal remains sunk in a pile of trash where they had apparently lain perhaps for as long as four years. It's not really a very friendly neighborhood, said Eileen Dugan. 70, once a close friend of Gabriel's, whose house sits less than 20 feet from the dead woman's home. I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and needed someone to talk to, but I was working two jobs and I was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually, I just stopped answering the door. Friends, what is wrong with a society that could create a scenario like that? What is wrong? We're talking about the church today, and so it may seem strange to you that I opened with a story like that. But the reason I did is because I believe that the heart of God's vision for renewal of the church, and even our church, is to address the problems that this story exemplifies. These are problems that are so real and so toxic that we as a church are both captive to them, but also have the great power to change them and to challenge them with the help of God and the Holy Spirit. In his book, The Connecting Church, Randy Frazee identifies three problems or three even idolatries that are pervasive in our society that erode community and could actually create a scenario like that one that I just read to you. The first one that he talks about in this book is individualism. Individualism is an approach to the world that puts the individual and my needs at the center of reality. Think the old Burger King slogan, right? My way, right away. Give it now. I think I threw that last part in at the end. (laughs) So, you know, in the American way of life, there's no greater reference point 
than the needs of the individual person and their demands. And you see this, you know, through branding campaigns like that of Burger King, and you see it in all sorts of things, in the way that we have trends of personal rights over communal responsibilities, uh, career advancement over company loyalty, um, a, a great plethora of lawsuits over uh, cases of reconciliation, uh, relative truth over absolute truth. I mean, these are just a few of countless scenarios in which we see individualism playing out among us. Another one that Frazee looks at is isolationism. Now, this is a little harder to understand. Let me just allow you to give me a little, give a little history lesson here for, mo- for a moment. You know, for most of human history, and for some of it, especially for some of you older members, remember this, that much of our society was organized around the idea of a common space, common place. You lived in proximity. You lived close to those uh, that you worked with, that you worshipped with, that you recreated with, that you went to school with, uh, even that were your family members. And this was, of course, for practical reasons, because there wasn't such a thing as mass transportation at the time. There weren't great ways to commute great distances. But this practice of the common, commonplace also met deep relational needs, didn't it? These needs for relationship, this needs for community. It created thick, strong social environments. But what happened is after World War II, all sorts of things happened. The uh, interstate bill was passed by Dwight Eisenhower. Um, highways were built. Um, the developers invented this thing called um, suburbs, this idea where houses could be separate from workplaces, separate from schools, separate from places of worship. Uh, there's this surge of wealth. The automobile industry exploded. Wealth enabled the American, a typical middle-class American family to pursue a suburban American dream. And what no one realized in all of this was how potentially isolating and even imprisoning all of these trends would become. So just picture for a moment a neighborhood built in the 1910s versus a neighborhood built in the 2010s. Just picture that for a moment. You know, it, it used to be that Previously, houses were right on the street and, and close, right close together. Now houses are set way back from the road and have lots and lots of space between them. It used to be that neighborhoods, houses had big front porches that you sat in and you could actually annoyingly hear the activity of your neighbor, you know, next door. And you could talk to neighbors and that sort of Now what houses have is big back decks and privacy fences where you can be separated from your neighbors and be with the people that you like. There's very little public space anymore in our neighborhoods. No sidewalks, very few of them, or no public parks. Everything is private. Very little need to interact with. In fact, you can take your car, drive into your neighborhood, drive into your driveway, into your garage, walk into your house, and never talk to another neighbor or human soul. You don't need to. Instead of the home as a place that is woven into a larger network or fabric of community, now the home in the American vision has become a personal fortress of escape from the world where I can be secure. So it's no wonder that a recent Gallup poll found that Americans are among the wealthiest people in the world and the loneliest. The loneliest people in the world. Here we are, friends. The land of the free. Lonely and free. Despite having all this access to resources, being surrounded by countless people, all this technology, here we are living isolated, automated, fragmented, disintegrated lives. That's isolationism. There's a third one he addresses, and he calls it consumerism. Consumerism is about consumption. It's this concentrated effort to accumulate more and more of my personal needs and demands. But really, it's more than just a pattern. It's a worldview. It's a philosophy. It's a way of life. That the meaning of life, according to consumerism, is not about love and the nurturing community. It is about success 
and the, the, the personal securing of my ambition, the satiation of desires, and ultimately actually being free from other people, being independent on my own without the need to mess with the messiness of neighbors and human interactions. So you see these three toxic trends, these idolatries, they work interdependently with one another. They're difficult to separate. Individualism, isolation, consumerism. These ultimately can create scenarios like the one I read to you from the newspaper. But most of you experience this not in dramatic ways, but every day of your life. You experience it through your frantic pace of life. You know, driving, you young parent, driving around all over the city in your minivan. Every which way. You know what I'm talking about? Or is that just my family? Uh, you, you know it in, in your, what you, many of you have told me is a, is a longing and a, and a really inability to nurture authentic friendships. So many of us are experiencing that. Deep loneliness. And many of you experience discontentment and dissatisfaction and a sense of alienation and even just kind of a pervasive anxiety. And you don't even know why it's there. Perhaps the most tragic thing about this, I think, is, is the way the modern church, rather than resisting these idolatries, has actually capitulated to them and invented a new model of church mimicking these idolatries. So, for example, individualism, the modern church has reinterpreted being a Christian as having an individual relationship with God. And that's it. Just a personal relationship with God. And if the church is in your life at all, it's just a resource to help you in your own individual, personal relationship with God. That's individualism, friends. Or isolationism. Long have we lost any real sense of connection with the people that we worship with. There are few churches that exist for a place anymore or draw people from a common neighborhood. We commute to church. As many of you have done this morning, I'm not, I'm not like criticizing you. Please, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just stating the fact that we commute to the church of our personal preference, sometimes from long distances. We greet each other like we just did, wave, and then see each other in another week if we're lucky. You know what I'm talking about? That's isolationism. And then consumerism, the modern church has become expert in competing for religious consumers by offering the best spiritual experience. We bring it to you here, friends. The best religious product that we can. We hope that you pay for this well so that you can come back next week so we can keep on running this show every Sunday. Sunday's coming. You know what I mean? And I want you to understand, I am not critiquing other churches. (laughs) I want you to understand, I'm critiquing us. I'm critiquing myself and my own leadership. I'm critiquing the whole modern church and what it has become in the United States of America because there are ways that we have followed and mimicked the patterns and ideologies of the world. And we have not lived up to the biblical vision of the church that Jesus has given. So what should we do if all this is true? Well, we look to the word of God. That's what we do as God's people. We look to the word of God. And what does the word of God say? Well, look what Peter says this morning. Very striking passage, very vivid imagery of the church. He says in verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, isn't that such a fascinating imagery? Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a little hard to understand because most of you are not Jewish. So let me try to explain it, that most of his hearers were. So he's referring to the the temple, the Old Testament temple. And the temple in the Old Testament was the place where God dwelled, right? God, of course, dwelled everywhere, but he lived in a special way in the temple. It was the place where the priests lived. It was the place where the sacrifices were made. It was where God's glory dwelt, where you went to meet God. But Jesus comes along, and we Christians believe that Jesus fulfilled the temple. 
So we have no need of the temple anymore. We don't have priests. We don't have sacrifices. Thank goodness, you know. Although little ones would probably pay attention a lot more if bloody animals were being... The carpet cleaning would be terrible, but you know what I mean. You know, Jesus fulfilled these things, right? He fulfilled the need for priests. He fulfilled the need for a temple because they're no longer needed because Jesus is the priest in the temple and the sacrifice. But the question is, what happens to God's presence now? Where do you go to meet God? Where is he? Where does he dwell? Where does he live? Do you know the answer? The people of God. The house of God. Together they form this new building, Peter says, with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. God in Christ has become homeless. He's chosen to live anywhere his people dwell. His people themselves, he says, Peter says, we're like bricks, each one of us, and cemented together, and God dwells there among us. And this, this was radical in ancient times as it is today. Even today, people, when they think of religion, they equate it with a building, right? You go to a building or a temple or a church building, you carry out religious duties, and if there are other people that happen to be there, that's cool, but it's not really necessary to the experience, But see, in Christianity, the temple is the community. In fact, get this. The early early Christians were accused of being atheists by people in the ancient culture of the time. Why? Because they didn't have a building, and they didn't have priests, and they didn't have sacrifices, and so no one could conceive what a religion could be like without those things. And yet here they are. We are the building. Jesus is the sacrifice and the priest. This is the place where you can find God, not the temple, the people. This is how central community is to the vision of Christian life. It's actually impossible to be a Christian without the church because we are fellow bricks cemented together, making up the spiritual temple where God dwells through his spirit. And that is beautiful. Do you see this? Do you see how we have lost this, friends, in many ways? And of course, for Peter, this is not good theology. This is This is methodology. This is not just a a, a metaphor. It's a map for how we are to live as the church in the world. And here's what what we're going to do. We are going to try to do this, friends. We are going to try to put everything on the table and ask, what if we were to take the vision of the church that the Bible gives us seriously? What changes would we need to make? How would we might need to do life differently, even here? And Jeff Hassler is going to share more details about that later in the service. But for now, let me just offer you a few implications of what this might be like for us here at Third in the future. First of all, I think it means if we're to take this vision seriously that we are to return to the idea of a common place. You know, the central doctrine of Christianity that we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation, God coming among us to live with us. Thank God that Jesus was not a commuter, right? I mean, he just commuted in a couple times in history or Went on a short-term mission trip down here. No, thank goodness he did. As Eugene Peterson put it in 1 Peter, the word became flesh and moved into the hood. He moved into the neighborhood. Have you thought about this? God had an address. God had neighbors. God had a little corner store. Then he went down and got lunch, you know, after working all morning on his table saw. You know, God had an address. Is that not crazy? God's redemption is worked out in specific places. There's no such thing as a generic church or a generic Christian. Paul wrote to the Christians of Rome, the Christians of Antioch, the Christians of Philippi. Peter writes to the Christians of Asia Minor. You are not a generic Christian. You are a Christian of a place. You are a Christian of Tuckahoe. You are a Christian of Short Pump or Forest Hill. You are a Christian of Midlothian or the East End or Canterbury 
or North Chesterfield or the North Side. You are a Christian of a place. You are a, God has planted you there with others to be an outpost of his kingdom in the world. It is holy ground where you are. Holy ministry and mission ground. And in the future, we want to recover this sense of a common place. We put, we looked at a map of Richmond and mapped everyone where our 1,200 members live on a map. And it's crazy, y'all. You guys live all over the city. Some of you commute from long distances. And so what we don't want to do is invite all of you to now move within one mile of the church. You know, that would be highly impractical and frankly rather weird and cultish, would it not? And there's just not enough real estate around here in these neighborhoods. So we're not going to do that. But what we can do, we can do something. We can completely rethink and reinvent how we actually do church as third church. We want to recover common place as the place where you already are, where you live. We want to rediscover our neighborhoods as the place where community discipleship and mission happen. And so we're going to do some serious re-engineering of our common life together. We're going to create, the elders have approved this already, we're going to create up to 10 geographic parishes or geographic regions where people live, where you all live, and essentially create smaller subsections of the congregation within the larger whole that are organized around place. This will be able to facilitate a lot of things, including making a large church feel smaller. But it's also so that we can more intentionally pursue this biblical calling of the church to be the church of and for a place. Jeff is going to share a lot more details about this in just a moment. So that's commonplace. Common life. When you read these exhortations to these early Christians in the New Testament, it's clear that this deep common life is assumed, isn't it? I mean, look at some words of Peter. Love one another deeply from a pure heart. Look at Paul's words, share with one another, practice hospitality to one another, live in harmony with one another. Look at the words of Luke, every day the Christians continue to meet together in their homes. This is not a vision of church as a once a week meeting. It is a vision of common life. You can't be a brick cemented with others making a building if you only see the other bricks occasionally. You can't say, hey, peace out brick, we'll come back together in three weeks and build that building again. No, bricks are interwoven together. It's a shared life. It means, what will this mean? This will mean a a, a frequency of relationships, spontaneity of interactions, availability to one another, proximity to fellow brothers and sisters. You know, I'm convinced this is why, you know, we have loved these shows like Seinfeld and and Friends and these shows where people are, are living in their spontaneity of relationship. It's because in some ways it expresses the longing of the modern, fragmented, isolated American for a depth of friendship and community. This is what we were made for. It even suggests that we must have enough of a shared life together that we're given plenty of opportunities to hurt each other, to love each other, to forgive each other, and to promote peace. Henry Nouwen says, you aren't really in Christian community unless you have been a real pain in the neck to your fellow believer. (laughs) And that only happens through a common life. So in the future, we're looking not just to have small groups at third where you meet with people once a week to have a Bible study, although there's nothing wrong with that. What we want to do is help create small communities of people, what we'll be calling parish groups, that are actually collections of men, women, and children seeking to live a common life together, to nurture their relationship with God, to nurture their relationship with each other, to be on common mission in in their neighborhood, in the world, to, to do the Bible together, to get a little closer to this vision of common life that is the church of Jesus, common life. And then finally, A common purpose. Christian community is never just for the sake of community, just like going to an airport is not to hang out at the airport. (laughs) Thank you. One person understood. Yeah. Thank you, Sylvia. I see you back there. 
Now, why do you go to the airport? For a purpose. To get, you go somewhere. And just it's the same with Christian community. We don't share common life and, and have a common place to enjoy relationship with each other alone. It's for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Peter says it right here. He says that we might proclaim the, the glories of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's, I love this quote from Mark Gornick on the front of your bulletin. If Christ is the peace that forms the church and determines its identity, then the church as a peaceable community exists for the city. The church is a body renewed by Christ to represent hope for a broken world. The, the purpose of the church is not to enjoy our relationship with each other, but as Dr. King said, to be the beloved community for the sake of the world, to the, for the healing of a place, the healing of a neighborhood. As Peter says, live such good lives among your Gentile neighbors. His vision is a Christian community that is living among your neighbors, involved in their lives, living close enough with your neighbors that they can actually see the difference in the way that you live and see the kingdom, see the person of Jesus in you. How desperately our time needs communities like this. So we have this vision, right, at third. To, to, it's, it's printed in your bulletin every week. It's quite audacious to seek the shalom or the peace and flourishing of the entire city metro of Metro Richmond. How do you think that's going to happen? I'll tell you how it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by coming to a meeting once a week at 600 Forest Avenue. That is a recipe for failure, friends. That is a terrible strategic vision. <laughs> Here is how we would actually seek the shalom of all of Metro Richmond to be a movement of the people of God in every neighborhood all over our metro region, living out the truth of the gospel in Christian community. And here's the funny thing. That was actually God's plan all along. This was always his plan. People living with other people to love people. That's God's plan. There's no plan B. I'm sorry, friends. It's us. <laughs> There's no plan B that God has people with other people living to love people. That is the vision of Jesus for his church. So here's what we're going to do in the coming years. We are going to both counteract and create. Two things. Counteract and create. Can you say those two things with me? We're going to what? Counteract and we're going to create. We're going to counteract what's wrong, these idolatries in the world. We're going to push against them, even in ourselves. We're going to resist individualism. We're going to resist isolationism. We're going to resist consumerism. We will do these things because they are idolatries that erode the gospel. And instead, we are going to create. We're going to create a new vision of the church that is not a new vision. It's Jesus' vision. It's a, it's a different form of church. It's a kind of church that fosters a common place and a common life and a common purpose. Make no mistake, we cannot do this. We are far too selfish, too unmotivated, too, too as Luther said, we are, in the Latin, homo in se incurvatus. We are man turned in upon ourselves. At least I am. And so we need Jesus, friends. Our power for this is the living stone. I love what Peter says. It's like a plea. Can you hear it? Come to him. The living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen in the sight of God and precious. Come to him. I pray that each of us personally would come to him. That even today, if there's those of you who are experiencing this deep sorrow and discontentment and alienation and isolation of the soul. That you would come. It's not going to ultimately be healed by people. It's going to be healed by the living stone, Jesus. Would you come to him? Would you let your own soul be healed? And we must come to him as a community. He must be the center of our community. He is the stone the builders rejected so that us little stones can be brought and incorporated into his house forever. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. Jesus was excluded so that you and I could be included. He was cast out so we could be brought in. He was disowned on the cross as God's child so that you can be claimed as God's son or God's daughter. Come to him, the living stone. This vision of the living church is what Jesus died to help create. So may we come to him together. May he more and more be the living stone of our personal lives and our community, drawing us together, making us one so that we can be the community of healing for Richmond in the world, proclaiming the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. May it be so, friends. Oh, God, may it be so. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you that you have not left us in darkness. You've not left us in our sin. You've not left us in isolation. You've not left us in our rebellion. But that you have had mercy on us in Jesus. You have come in the person of your son. That you have, you have died for our sin and rebellion and isolation and you have risen from the dead to not just save us individually but to make us into, as, Titus, as it says in Titus, to purify a people for yourself. We repent of the ways that we have capitulated to the idolatries of the world. We repent of our individualism. We repent of our isolationism, that we, many of us don't even love our neighbors. I repent of that, oh God. We repent of our consumerism, that we have, we have chosen to believe the lie that our lives will be fulfilled with more and more stuff and more and more money. We confess these things, oh God. And we pray that you would give us the strength and the power of Jesus from the Holy Spirit to actually create through you the, a vision of church that, that you intend. That would, that would involve shared common place, shared common life, and a shared common purpose to be for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the world, making known the kingdom. You are King, King, Lord Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. And even now, your kingdom advances, and it advances in the most absurd way in and through your people, the church. So may we be that people, we pray. We pray as this offering is now received, God, we pray that you would use these offerings to advance your kingdom work in the world. We especially pray this morning for our mission partners. We pray for chat. We pray for Nehemiah's workshop that helps kids uh, develop responsible and entrepreneurial and business skills. We pray for that ministry. We pray for all of our mission partners that you would help them to advance your kingdom work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.